I'm going to read out of the book of Psalms, chapter 2. You're welcome to turn your Bibles there, or you can just look on the screen. We've been in a message series that I think is really important. It's the diamonds for everyday living, because these are God's truth that we can have every day and help our day-to-day lives to live a little better. And so Psalms chapter 2 is a great one because it's talking about future. It's a prophetic psalm. And you're going to see here in David's writing, he wrote the psalms, the majority of them. He wrote Psalms 1 through 6 as we've been uh, talking about. We did Psalms 1 the last two Sundays. Now it's Psalms chapter 2. I'm going to deal with this entire psalm in uh, 20 minutes that will be overwhelming to you. So you got to get mentally riveted because we're going to go to another level this morning of what we're going to intake and what we're going to receive. It says in Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings have, uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break the bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavenlies shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in desertion and he shall break them in his wrath and distress them in the deep displeasure. Yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, the judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. This is where we're at this morning. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. God says to you, congratulations to the man. Congratulations to the woman who are smart enough to put their trust in the living God. Father, thank you today for your word. God, there's a war on truth that's happening all over this world, specifically in this nation. And God, help us recognize today with your word, truth. And let us receive it and let us rejoice in this truth. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said, amen. Amen. You can turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking, and go ahead and sit down. Thank you guys for being here. And Pat, you are good looking. I just wanted to say that. Give Pat a round of applause. He is super good looking. It's like a walking stud. Just look at him. No, he doesn't walk like that. But I think there's something so important about truth Because how many of you know truth is important? To hear the truth of the matter. The book of Proverbs tells us that usually the person that comes and tells you their story first, you believe them in their truth. But truth is not what I think it is. Truth is not what you think it is. Truth is what the word of God says it is. That's why he said, thy word is truth. As a matter of fact, he said his word would be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A lamp and a light. It would give us guidance and instructions. So think about Psalms chapter 2. Last two Sundays, we've been dealing with Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but they'll be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. They'll meditate on the word of the Lord day and night. The leaf will not wither, and whatever they do in life will prosper. But remember the godly, ungodly were not so. The ungodly walk, stand, and they start sitting down and turning their back on the things of the Lord and end up living their life miserable. Psalms 2 takes it up a notch because Psalms 2, we have a prophetic psalm. 
David is the great-great-grandson of Jesus Christ. And Psalms 2, he's given us a prophetic utterance of things to come. You have to understand, uh, the, uh, there's lots of things in the Bible that was written in prophecy. Things to come, things that were going to happen, things that are, you're going to see on the landscape, things that were coming to pass. In Matthew chapter 24 was the spine of prophecy. And Jesus was asked by his disciples, Master, give us the sign that the end of the age will come. The end of the age that they're discussing is the age of dispensation of grace. We are in that dispensation of grace as I'm speaking today. And they're talking about when will the end come, Lord? And Jesus said in that spine of prophecy in verse 4, take heed that no man deceive you. And then he says in verse 11, many will rise up and deceive many. He didn't say they'll deceive a few. He said they're going to deceive many. And then in verse 24 of that passage, he says, if it was possible, the very elect would be deceived. In other words, they wouldn't know the truth. They wouldn't have the truth of God's word because there's something so freeing about the truth because it settles all accounts. So David's describing a prophetic thing that's happening, something that's coming in the future. I believe it's now, we're seeing it now, the dispensation that we're in, a generation where the leaders will rise up in a revolt against Christians, against the Jewish people, and against the state of Israel. Notice I draw all those three things together because if you're going to draw a line in the sand, you have to draw it around Christians and, 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 and Israelis and Jewish people because that's the fight that we're fighting in the 21st century. In other words, this is a fight that is worth fighting because God says you're going to be blessed if you take that stand. But there's this onslaught that's going to happen. He says in the scripture, and you can look at it in your Bible, keep it open or look at it on the screen. He starts it off with saying, why do the heathens rage? Why do they rage? And the Bible says, imagine a, a vain thing. Now, isn't it interesting? The word heathen in uh, the Hebrew is gorum. And what that simply means is anybody that's not Jewish. So when you're talking somebody and calling them a heathen, you're literally saying it's, you're not Jewish. You don't have the promise of the first covenant that God established through the Jewish people. So he's saying, why did the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? Rage, it's a violent hatred toward God. Why did they imagine such a violent thing? Remember in Psalms 1 that you'll meditate on the word of the Lord day and night? That's important to know because God wants you and I as believers to look upon the right things. Because what you look upon, you will become. Because who you look up to is going to be taking care of you. That's why the Bible says, meditate on my word. David said, thy word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against the Lord. What's he talking about? He's, I memorize this word. I'm to meditate on the word. Why? Because it elevates us. It doesn't look at the problems. It looks at the promises. We're to meditate on it. We're to put it in our hearts. Whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are honorable, think upon those things because it's not about right living. It's about right believing. Because many people, they say, oh, live right, live right, live right. You even hear that in churches and pastors, live right, get right with God, get right with God. Don't you think if people could get right with God, they would have got it? You cannot give what you do not have, and you cannot get what was never given to you in the first place. It was already established at Calvary. You've already been accepted. You've already been approved. You've already been loved. So you need to meditate on those things, not an act of your works. It's because of God's amazing grace. 
So they're meditating on the wrong things. So in other words, we are to meditate and imagine the, the vastness of God. The Bible says, no eye have seen, nor ear have heard, nor entered in the mind of a man what God has prepared for those that love him. It says that you can imagine, Ephesians 3.20, that God would give you exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask, think, dream, or imagine. Just imagine what's waiting for you as a believer. Your imagination can't grasp the, the glory and the goodness that God has prepared for us. But the, the scripture difference here in Psalms 2 is in the opposite direction. They're taking the same power of that word and they're putting it in the wrong direction. They're putting their force, their energy, their imagination. Remember God said in the Old Testament, some of you who know the Bible, remember he said there's nothing they cannot do when it came to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, the tower that he broke it down. He said there's nothing they cannot do. Why? Because man's imagination, that God did creativity that he put inside of us. There's nothing we cannot do if we put it in the right direction. And that's why they're plotting and imagining the evil thing. What they're doing is they're taking a stand and they're imagining how they're going to kick God out. David said there's coming a generation that's going to meditate and it's going to plot. It's going to make plans on how to cast God out of society. The scripture said that the kings of the earth set themselves. The word set means they take a bold stand against God. When you take a bold stand against God, then in essence you're taking a bold stand against his word. In verse 6, David said they're taking a stand against his holy hill of Zion. Zion means Jerusalem. So David said there's coming a generation that will take a stand against God. They'll take a stand against God's word, which is the Torah, the written word of God. And they'll take a stand against Jerusalem, God's holy place. Now, why is that important? Because you'll hear people say, well, the church replaced the Jewish people because they rebelled. They turned their back on God. There's no replacement here. We are all in this together, Jews and Christians alike. And I want you to know that because God says not only will they come against me, they're going to come against my word. Remember John chapter one in the beginning was what? And the word was what? God. And the word was with what? God. And verse 12 said, the word dwelt among us. We know that word. That's Jesus incarnate. He came the living word. And they say they're going to come against God. They're going to come against his word. In essence, they're going to come against Jesus. And then they're going to come against Jerusalem, God's holy place. Why? That's the center of the universe. Jerusalem is the shoreline of eternity. If you want to know God's prophetic timetable, it all starts in Jerusalem. In 1914, the Balfour Amendment, when the British set out to put Israel back on the map and the Jewish people will have a homeland. Now, 50 years later, 1967, from 70 AD to 1967, they didn't have Jerusalem. The Jewish people didn't have that dwelling place. But in 1967, the Six Day War, God established that Jerusalem would be captured back under the Jewish control, no longer under the control of the heathen, the non Jewish. Jewish people. What's the point? God said in his word in Matthew 24, this generation will not pass before they see the coming of the son of man. What am I telling you? I'm telling you the king is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. So that's good news. It shouldn't frighten you. It should encourage you. It's good news. But I'm, I'm drawing a, a line here because I want to know, I, I know who I'm fighting with. How many of you ever heard the statement, there's no atheist in a foxhole? In other words, if you're in a fight, it's like people have plans until the great prophet said, you've got a plan to the fight until you get punched in the mouth. 
then your plans go out the window. That was the great prophet Mike Tyson. He said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. So if you're going to have a plan, you've got to know who's in your foxhole, who's fighting with you, who's in your boat rowing with you. How many of you know you don't need people in your boat poking holes in your boat? You need people in your boat rowing to get where you need to go. You need elevators and lifters and people that are going to encourage you and strengthen you. I'm preaching a lot better than your Presbyterians are letting on, but I'm going to keep going. I think there's something to be said about verse 6 because they're taking a stand against my holy hill of Zion. That means Jerusalem. And if you watch the latest in news media, if you read the latest things, what's happening in the Middle East? All eyes are pointing there. There's no accidents here, folks. All eyes are pointing there because it's still the center of the universe. Listen to King David. The rulers take counsel. That means they've made a grand design, and by an appointment, they've made a decision to go all out against God, to get rid of God. Notice the force of their rebellion. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine such a vain thing? The rebellion against God is not opposed upon the masses of evil by the people. In other words, they're not imposing it on people, forcing it on people. It's a grassroots effort. It's a grassroots effort that embraces everything except God, except Christianity and Judaism and the survival of the nation and state of Israel. Look at the focus of their rebellion. They take counsel against the Lord. The word in the Hebrew is Jehovah. That means Father God. And they take counsel against his anointed. We know that word anointed, don't we? That's in the Greek. It means Christ, the anointed one. So David is saying they're taking a rebellious stand against God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son, and here's what they're doing. Let us break the bands asunder and let us cast the cords away from us. That means they're saying the restraints of the written word of God, let's take them out. Let's take out the word. Let's take out the promises. Let's take all those things out. Let's take off all the restraints. Get rid of the Ten Commandments. Get rid of them. Throw them out of the state capitol. Throw them out of the schoolhouse. Get rid of the sanctity of marriage. Get rid of the sanctity of life. Now we're talking infanticide, folks. We've come to a day. No longer is the the right for that life of that baby. Now we're literally discussing on a stage if that child has the right to live once they come out of the mother's womb. Then we're selling the baby's body parts. Why? Because the world has gone crazy and God's people need to speak up. And I think there's something so important about taking a stand for the right things. As the enemy has dug his ground, he's dug in and he's taking a stand against God. I'm praying for boldness like a lion to rise up in the people of God and say, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Is anybody with me this morning? We're going to serve the Lord. I'm talking about verse 3 there in Psalm chapter 2. Throw off the cords. Throw off the bands of restraint. Listen to what it says, as in the written word of God. Our society is saying, get rid of this concept. Throw off the restraints. Let's become weightless. Let's just do what we want to do. But God doesn't operate in the weightless. God operates in the weighty. God is the glory of the Lord. You ever read that in the Bible? The word glory means kabak. It means heavy, weighty. That's Psalms chapter 3 next Sunday. But God operates not in weightlessness, doing whatever you want to 
to do. When he puts his weight on you, it's for your benefit. It's for your protection. It's for your healing. He puts his glory on you so you know God and God alone healed you. God and God alone provided for you. God and God alone made a way where there seems to be no way. God, you didn't do it in your own strength. You don't have that type of strength. God and God alone put his glory down on you. He got weighty on you. Oh, he didn't go to Jenny Craig. He got weighty on you. <laughs> I made myself laugh. He wasn't on the keto diet. I'm going to get so skinny, I'm going to turn sideways, and I'm going to disappear. No, God said, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. Coming. I've got a little song for you. No, I'm not going to go there. But our society is saying, let's get rid of this stuff. Let's get rid of this stuff. Look at this worldwide movement. Now think about this this morning. That was and is trying to kick God out of society. It's so evident today. It's almost laughable as we watch television. We hear these political crazy people talking all this nonsense. Look at what's happening. We've always had atheism. We know what atheism is, the belief that there is no God. Especially if you live here in California. These atheists, they're crazy. They're like, I'm an atheist. God knows I'm an atheist. I literally had people tell me that. Hey, I want you to know, minister, that I'm an atheist and God knows that. Like, God knows what? He knows that I don't believe in him. But you just said, hmm. It's crazy. We always know about atheism, where there's no belief in God. It reminds me of the college professor. He got in front of his college class, and he says, I'm going to prove to you, class, that in the next five minutes, there is no God. In the next five minutes, I'm going to count down, and if God doesn't knock me down in the next five minutes, it is proof positive there is no God. He hit the clock. The time started ticking. Every minute that went down, he screamed to the class, see, there is no God. Minute after minute went by as he screamed, there is no God. A six-foot six 340 pound linebacker from the college heard the professor scream there was no God and so he ran to the professor as fast as he could he knocked him down and when the professor came to he said why did you do that and the lineman said because God said he was busy so he sent me But we've always had, you know, people that say there's no God, that the Bible's not true. I mean, we can all, we all hear that stuff. But how about another level of an onslaught of hell? In the past century, there was communism. Communism taught that the state was God. Marx and Lenin were the, literally the apostles of communism. Joseph Stalin, who literally systematically murdered millions of his own comrades under this auspices of communism, that you do not need anything unless the state can supply it for you. Now we have this whole new communism, which is nothing more than this socialism that says we can give you everything. We're going to give you free this and free that and take that debt out and take that out. But what they don't realize that the people of this nation especially Christians are not stupid because the government that gives you everything has the ability to take away everything. 
And God says, there's no gift that I withhold for those that diligently seek me. Do you love the concept today? See the opposite thing working here? God says, all you got to do is seek me and I'll give you the gifts. I'll give you the desire. I'll give you the infilling. I'll give you boldness. I'll give you that fearless life. I'll give you the desires of your heart. All you got to do is honor me and I'll give it to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. So we've always had atheism. Now we have communism in the past century. It's reared its ugly head in socialism. But now what we have is called secular humanism. And that says man is God. That if you educate man, he'll produce a utopia on the earth. Education without God only produces intellectual barbarians. Because some people can be educated beyond their own intellect. Can I just tell you, simply stated, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing a fact. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the fact. Knowledge is understanding and hearing a fact. But wisdom comes how to operate in that fact. The Bible says all wisdom comes from above. That God is a God of wisdom. And man, the scriptures say, in his own intellect does not know the Lord. So man's intellect will not reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to every one of us today. Those that love the Lord, those that are pursuing him. You wouldn't be here if you didn't love the Lord. This ain't Randy's rodeo. You're in church. So you have to realize that the Holy Spirit has drawn you unto him. And that's the revealer of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of Jesus. Not intellect, not education. Hitler's Nazis had PhDs, intellect, educated. But watch them as they throw Jewish children in the ovens of Auschwitz. They're educated, but they're intellectual barbarians. We are not our savior. Christ and Christ alone is the savior of the world. So think about it. We have communism, of course, atheism. We have secular humanism. And now comes new age. And new age says you can believe in everything. Everything is your truth. Do you know why I believe this is my personal opinion? And I believe I can back it up with scripture if you sat down with me and had some conversation with me. I can prove it. But that's what the Antichrist is going to be when he comes on the scene. He's going to be a new ager. Because he's going to believe in everything is acceptable. Do you know New Age? You can look it up. They believe everything except Christianity and except Judaism. You can, you can worship a llama. Hey, that's a good-looking llama. Dalai Lama. You can worship a tree. Oh, that's great. You worship a tree. Go hug the Ponderosa. You can worship that piece of carpet. That's your truth. Worship that carpet. Oh, that's good for you. It may not be good for me, but if you want to worship that carpet, I think you should go. Maybe you should marry the carpet. What's the point? New Age says, hey, your truth is your truth. It's all relative. Just believe what you want to believe, but don't believe in that Bible. Don't believe in Judaism that the Jews have the right to that land. They don't occupy that land. They own that land because God gave it to them in a covenant in Genesis chapter 15. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. They do. No, 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 no. You can believe to hug the tree. You can believe that the llama's giving you special llama vibes. It's not an alpaca, baby. It's llama time. You can believe in all of that, but don't you dare believe that this word is truth. 
You see, the enemy's a liar. He's a liar. And his objective is to rob, to kill, and to destroy. Look at what's happening in our public schools. We have training now for active shooters on campus. A thousand teachers go to the hospital each month because they're attacked by one of their own students. Governor Gavin Newsom just passed a law that we can't discipline kids in public school anymore and we can't do this anymore. And now we have 275,000 students in America going to school each day, not with a backpack or a binder, but with a gun or a knife on them. Who needs moral guidance when you're doing active shooter lessons? Do you know 97% of mass shootings in America are in gun-free zones? 90% of mass shootings in America are because there's gun-free zones. So what's the point? Taking guns away, that's not the answer. The answer is you got to get people back to this. you got to get them back to this. But not in the way the devil's made it to come back to. Rules, regulations, you're not praying enough, you're not doing enough, you're not, you're not holy enough, you're not, you're, not, you're not in tune with the spirit enough, you're quenching your spirit. All those things, the devil will keep you in bondage of religion to make you feel good without being good. And it's like a cafeteria Christianity, picking and choosing what we want. You know what, I'll take a little bit of salvation. But I don't really know that commitment stuff. Oh, I'll take houses I didn't build, vineyards I didn't plant, and wells I didn't dig. Can I get an amen? Shandai. Oh, I don't want that tithing stuff. Oh, that's Old Testament. Oh, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. We're in the New Covenant. Grace, grace. It's picking and choosing. You don't get to pick and choose this. The church is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. You don't vote the will of God, you do the will of God. You find out what God wants, do that, you'll be blessed. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching myself happy. Oh, come on, I like it. I'm taking a swing at the devil left, right? I'm just, I'm telling you what, this is what happens. In this society we live, when you take God out, all that's left is corruption. All that's left when love leaves is hate. All that's left with light leaves is darkness. Do you know in colonial America, our schools and our universities use the Bible for both reading and as the chief textbook in the lower grades? Did you know that George Washington, he's the first president of the United States, he said that true religion is not a pair of pants. No, he didn't say that. But he said, true religion affords the government the sweet support. The future of this nation depends on the Christian training of our youth. What do you think the city center is about? Not to cram religion down their throat, but to build relationships, open up their heart like a crowbar so we can put real truth in them in love. Why do you think we do what we do? Because we're believers and not doubters. You know, George Washington also went on to say, it is impossible to rightly govern without God and without the Bible. So when you replace the cross, what, what's left? Another theology. And the Bible describes another theology that people would have itching ears and they'd have certain things they would, they would want to hear. And when our children now go to public school, it's filled with secular humanism. That man is the master of his own faith. Do what you want to do. You're self-sufficient. Ah, you do whatever you want. We can't take our next breath without God's permission. You need to know that. Do you want to know? And I looked this up for you because I know you didn't have the time to do what I've done because I'm amazing and you're not. <laughs> Teasing. 
But I looked this up because I thought you need to know this because I have children in public schools. Many of you have children in public schools. Do you know the founder of secular humanism who came up with this whole crazy concept? He has a quote out of his own mouth. His name's Charles F. Potter. He's the founder of secular humanism. And he says, quote, education, meaning the, you know, the law that forces child, children to go to public school. Education is the most powerful ally of humanism. He goes to say, what can a Sunday school meeting, one hour a week, a teaching only a fraction of our children do to stem the tide of a five-day humanistic teaching? End of quote. What's he talking about? He's talking about this onslaught that's happening, that's pushing God out. And now we have today, you know, 20 years ago when I first started ministering, when an active church member who, that's a person who calls church home, like, hey, I have a church I go to, I love my church, and I wear my shirt, I love my church, and I love, and I love going to church. You know, 20 years ago, an active church member, you know how many times they went to church? Three times a week. You know, today, you know, when an active church member, that same person, I love my church, I wear my shirt, I go out and help, twice a month. You know why the church, when you see all these people, they're not here the next week, it bi-weekly. If you have 1,000, you got 2,000. If you have 1,000 people in your church, you really got 2,000 people. If you have 100, you really got 200. Why? It's a bi-weekly now. It's a different generation. It's a different culture. What's the point? If we're only coming bi-weekly and we're putting our kids in there for just a little bit, for maybe a half hour, 45 minutes, a couple times a month, what do you think the onslaught of hell will be? So my point is we need to prioritize what's important and we need to let go what really doesn't matter because everything is about taking over. God wants to take over your life, my life. He wants to possess us with his grace, his peace. He wants to possess us with his goodness. He wants to possess us. You say, why are you using a term like that? Because that means overtake you. He wants to overtake you with all these things because the Bible teaches about the opposite of overtaking. The enemy wants to possess you also with the spirit of death. Satan leads the culture of death. That's why abortion, there's no thing about human rights or a woman's right. It's about death. Abortion is about death. What's suicide about? It's about death. Have you ever been driving down the road and you just had this crazy thought come in your mind? Take your car, drive it off the lane. What's that? That's a thought that's come in. The enemy wants to take over your thoughts. You can't live. You shouldn't live here. Nobody wants you here. And the enemy lies to many of God's people because there's nothing in your DNA that would cause you to take your life. God's put in every human being self-preservation. That means every animal he created, every life he created, there's something in us that wants to live. So anytime those thoughts come, you need to know where they come from. They come from the author of death. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have that life more abundantly. So we cancel every assignment of Satan over this room right now of the spirit of death. Every assignment that wants to take their life, God, we cancel that assignment of Satan over them right now. They shall live and not die in the name of Jesus. How about drugs? With all their beautiful names they come up with, ecstasy, so forth. What does it produce? It produces death. How about certain music? Oh, I love good music. Give me some Four Tops. Give me some Earth, Wind, and Fire. I 
got it. Give me a little bit of Elvis. It'll make my day. Give me a little bit of old school stuff. How about some great Christian music? But how about lyrics today that are producing violence, rape, rebellion against authority, rebellion against everything true? It's nothing more than the spirit of death. Oh, Joey, I just like the beat. Is that why you're on your TikTok doing your weird little things, just bumping the beat? No, you're reciting those filthy lyrics over and over and over again. I don't care about your little dumb moves. It's because that spirit wants to get inside of you and overtake you. So God says today, hey, kick the enemy out. Kick him out. Kick him out of your home. Kick him out of your health. Kick him out of your emotions. Kick him out. God says, I give you authority to kick him out. Kick him out. (laughs) You know, I love Psalms chapter 2. Again, this is a prophetic psalm. But in Psalms chapter 2, God does something right in the middle of it. I love that David put it in there because God inspired it. It says, he that sits on the throne laughs. He laughs. And I want to encourage you because some of you have went through a difficult season. Some of you had difficult things happen. We've had it happen in our family, our ministry, our life, where you just, it's so chaotic, it's so stupid, and it's so demonic that I just looked at Jennifer and just started laughing. I'm like, this is so Satan. Sometimes you just got to lean back and laugh. Oh, you try to put that sickness on me, devil? Ha! Laugh. God in heaven says, you've tried to attack me. You try to take away my word. You try to take away my people. God in heaven, he rears it back. He doesn't have a Maalox moment. He laughs. He laughs them to scorn. He says, you can kick me out. I don't think so, Jack. How about kicking out the God of the universe? He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Trying to argue with a fool is trying to shove a grand piano in a junk closet. Some of you get that on the drive home. Can't put the piano in a closet. Don't argue with a fool. But I think this is important because people try to say, well, we'll just, you know, God's out. And, and no, I don't, I don't believe that at all. You're here. You're in. God's put you in his promise. You're here to shine light in a dark place. God's the author of life, not the author of death. So people think they have the actual intellect and the strength to pull down all that reminds us of God. I don't think so. I would say, in effect, how about pulling down the sun that reflects the glory of the Lord? How about pulling down the stars that testify of his grandeur? How about the heavens that declare the glory of the Lord? How about pulling down the moon from the heavens? Command the sun and the seas to cease and function under the control of that moon. You cannot do that. You can't even take your next breath. However educated or intellectual you think you are, or sophisticated and evolving you might think you become, the Alpha and the Omega was here in the beginning and he'll be here in the end. The cornerstone presses an elect in Zion. He's here in the beginning. He's going to be here in the end. God's laughing at all this nonsense saying, I've sent my warriors, my wind, my men, my women. I've sent them with an assignment. Stand firm and know your God. Stand firm in the day of battle. Stand firm when the enemy tries to attack you. Laugh at the devil when he comes against you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Can I tell you, he is still the father to the orphan. He 
is the husband to the widow. He is every flower. He is every blade of grass. Every monument is of his glory. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one that puts kings up and puts them down. He is the one who says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. Come on, let's give the Lord praise in his house today. Come on, take a moment and give God praise. We love you, Lord. Come on, can we stand to our feet today? Let's give God praise. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we thank you. The enemy is not kicking us out. We're in. We're in. King David said in Psalms 2 verse 6, listen to this in closing. I've set my king, the coming Messiah. I've set him on the holy hill of Zion. David indicates the generation to seek to throw God out of society, to seek to pull people out of Israel, to take that covenant land. God says, I'm laughing at all that stuff. I have a day that's coming where I'm going to bring back the new Jerusalem. And I'm not going to bring it from the east. And I'm not going to bring it from the west. And I'm not going to bring it from the south. I'm going to bring it from heaven and I'm gonna drop it down from heaven. There's a new day coming. There is a new world order coming and it's the kingdom of our God and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. I love that. Look at the last part, Psalms 2 verse 12. It's a diamond for everyday living for us. And look at what it says, the latter part, blessed. Let's say that out loud, blessed. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman. Be congratulated are all those who put their trust in him. The world may be raging, but God is not. The world and its systems may be pushing everything out, but God has said, I've set and established my people and I'll put them right where I wanna put them. And what you need to do is don't let the enemy kick out and push out anything God wants to give you because of religion, because of culture, because of society, because of an upbringing, because of a bad mistake, one bad meal, one bad moment, one bad season, don't let the enemy push out the promise that God has given you. With his power and his anointing, there's nothing that you cannot accomplish.